the office is open from seven to three. I work a little less than that. And it's designed where they can beat the traffic. They come in and when they're done at three o'clock, they can go home and take care of either their family. They can go uh, to the beach. They can go to the gym. They can actually cook a meal and have a meal with their families. And therefore they can enjoy life outside of work on a daily basis. And so I think that makes it very attractive because at the end of the day, I don't know how we got these working hours to be eight to five or nine to five. I mean, who made that up? And if everyone follows that, then you're stuck in the same traffic as everybody else. You're going home in the same traffic. You come home and the husband and wife's hungry and the kids are hungry and everyone's, none of the duties are done. And I just feel like it's a very um, tiring or taxing environment, you know, because by the time you you cook, it's seven o'clock and you eat and some people watch TV and they just go to bed. You do the same thing day in, day out until the weekend. And I just, you know, for me, that's not how I envision life to be. And mm-hmm. therefore I, we created these, like what you call lifestyle hours that really can benefit our team members because when they go home and they're well and they build relationships with friends and spouse or family members, then, you know, they come home. I mean, they come back to work, refreshed, energized, ready to give it their 110. When we work, we work hard and Uh, When it's time to go to the beach, they can enjoy that without feeling like they owe something, you know? Welcome to The Dental Marketer. This is your go-to podcast for diving deep into the world of business, marketing, self-development, and dentistry. From startup secrets to real talk with the pros, we've got it all. So whether you're just starting out or you're deep in years in running your own practice, Join us for a mix of success stories, a few learning curves, and loads of insights from the brightest in the industry. We'll chat, learn, and grow together one episode at a time. Paul's a really great guy. He practices in Kauai. It's amazing how he started his practice. Listen to his story. He he really did it all on his own, or a lot of it on his own. And it's amazing how much everything cost him too as well. So listen to that. At the same time, we also discuss how he's building his practice right now. We do talk about numbers. We do talk about what's his production and collection looking like, how many new patients he's bringing in, um, what's he's paying, what he's paying his associate right now, um, and so forth. But more importantly, guys, I want you to really focus or listen in on the culture, the vision, and how he treats his employees and himself, right? His, his everything. There's some things in this episode where I even want to adopt and it's, it's fantastic the way he's running it. I think it's really, really awesome. You guys are going to enjoy this episode a lot and really think about it. Think about it, especially when he talks about the hours that he works and how he compensates or incentivizes his employees and how they are always striving to do more. He doesn't really conform to the norm. Right. That a lot of us are like, well, this is how it's supposed to be done. This is uh, how, uh, you know, the typical work week goes or whatever. It's more like, nah, let's let's do what we enjoy. And, you know, the team will love it. The patients will love it. You will love it. So really great episode, guys. Without further delay, here is Dr. Paul Yu. We started really early with Orix and it's a thousand times more robust than when we very first started. Hmm. There's no way to go back to a server-based archaic DRM. Why did you decide to go with Oryx? It was that whole automated reporting thing. It started with Open Dental. 
and we spent a lot of money training on Open Dental on a single office. So it was a new acquisition that we were doing at Abundant and decided rather than just paying for a year of, because Dentrix charged you a year up front. Rather than doing that, we were just like, let's just try Open Dental, see what happens. Super painful transition. The conversion was rough. Training, posting, everything was rough. It was just new to me and I'm the one training, so I'm trying to learn it and train it. So I, I had probably four test conversions done. I was about to pull the trigger and I had a buddy call me from Texas, from PDS, a doctor buddy of mine. He had just got back from Coise. Just talked to me about his great experience at Coise and comprehensive dentistry and you know his plan to make his practice just pop. And so I'm like, that's rad, man. What else, what else did you learn? Tell me everything. And he's like, hey man, there's a software that he talked about at the end and it looked amazing. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, man, I've been researching and I, I researched everything like Curve, Open Dental, Eagle Soft, Dentrix, <laughs> Dentrix Ascend, a Dentrix Enterprise. You name it, I probably have done a test conversion during that time period for it. I was like, no, man, I haven't heard of it. But he's like, dude, just check it out. I called him up and yeah, I was blown away. Like it's simple, it's intuitive, works and our model very closely aligned. So we, you know, we decided to make the switch for all of them. All seven of our practices over to Oryx. Nice, man. That's good. And right now, are you going to transition to Oryx too with your two practices, or are they I, already? I do it. On, I do it on day one. Yeah. Yeah. I've got so many systems built through this now that it just has to be done. Like rather than trying to figure out how to remote in to a server with RDPs and then manually track things, I I already have pre-written programs that pull from Oryx's APIs, and I switch an office over day one and get API access, and we're off to the races. So. Man, all right, good stuff, man. So, Oryx is the winner for you then. That's what you like. Oh, by far, yeah, right. yeah. And I would just for anybody that's out there looking, like I am an Oryx fanboy, so I'll get that out of the way. <laughs> but just stay away from server-based platforms. It creates complication and expense you just don't need. Paul, how's it going, man? Hey, good, good. I'm glad that we could connect. It's it's good out here. Yeah, man, that's good. Is it already nighttime out there or no? No, no, it's uh. I get, I just got, I just got off work earlier. It's, uh, it's about two o'clock. Oh my god! See what I mean? Like I totally felt geography. I don't. I didn't even know it was like hours behind. You know what I mean? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. We're, all, we're always behind. Yeah, that's cool that your schedule's already. Uh, you're off at two, you know, over there. Yeah, yeah. I usually, um, well, I I started just now working from seven to about ten. My Thursdays are my longest days and I work till 12. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That's good, man. So before we jump into that and the business and everything like that, let's talk story, man. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your past, your present. How'd you get to where you are today? Oh my, that's going to take a little longer than just a, <laughs> a few minutes here. But I mean, and, and, and what aspects or, you know, what part of this journey um, should we hop on, you know, because it's, it's been a long journey. We're talking dental school or right after dental school or how I got the pet practice started or how I ended up in Kauai or, you know, there's so many different parts to this story. Yeah. Let's talk before dental school, realizing like, you're like, hey, you know what, I'm going to do dentistry. So um, growing up, you know, because of my religious affiliation, uh, I was raised to kind of be involved in a lot of the, these like mission trips and charity work and whatnot. So I had a little taste of overseas work um, when I was like 17 through 21. And I enjoyed going overseas and just working with other dentists, um, doing short-term um, extraction clinics or dental clinics uh, throughout different parts of the world. And I've always kind of ha had that in my pocket in terms of the experience. And as I went to college and whatnot, uh, I wasn't a pre-dent major. I, I got a, a business degree um, and I was 
working and uh, I realized I wanted to do a little more. I just didn't like the idea of being stuck in a cubicle uh, and just crunching numbers and, um, you know, writing letters to the clients and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I decided to go back to um, something that would give me what I enjoyed, uh, which was at that time, I enjoyed the traveling aspects of it just uh, because the whole world just became real to me as I went into these service trips. And I also liked the idea of giving back, being a, a part of this larger global family and to be able to use your skill set to make a difference if possible. And, and that is kind of how I embarked on this journey. And so I went back to school and took some prerequisites to enter into dental school. And from there, upon finishing dental school, I, my wife and I moved to uh, Africa for six years oh, wow. uh, to a country called Zambia, which is in the southern part of the of the African continent, uh, landlocked by eight different countries and there. And so I ran a, a dental clinic there. Um, my wife is an ophthalmologist, so she ran an eye hospital there providing surgical care. And um, yeah, we went there without any kids. We came back with three and we realized <laughs> that we have other responsibilities now. It's not just our passion and pursuit of making a change in the community, but, you know, we had to make sure that our kids are taught and that, you know, we give them the best opportunities to, to carry on the work that we've started. Man. So you moved to Africa for six years. Why there? There was a need there. I think it was a, a good situation where um, there was an eye hospital that was in need of an eye surgeon and there was a dental clinic that was in need of a dentist. And this was ran through uh, a religious organization and they have hospitals throughout developing countries. And so we were able to uh, plug get plugged in there. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a good fit for us. Uh, they spoke English, um, although they have 70 something, a tribal dialect. It was easier for us to acclimate because it was colonized by the Brits at one point. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And then, so you decided to move from there, where? Uh, from Africa, from Zambia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from, from Zambia. After our six years, we realized we've achieved what we wanted to, which was to create a sustainable model of of healthcare. Yes, there was, we were always somewhat indirectly dependent on some form of, of charity or, or aid, but for the most part, you know, our, both of our institutions were um, self-sustaining. We're make, generating a profit. We're serving the community. We're buying our own equipment. We weren't really dependent on, you know, donations or we call it like junks for Jesus, you know, or you get yeah. the, the hand-me-downs that are just archaic that you can't even use there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, from there, we uh, decided to move back to the U.S. Um, we were looking at different jobs, mainly I wanted to make sure that my wife could be happy because I, I felt like you know, I, I could kind of do dentistry anywhere. It was a lot easier. So um, we, uh, she ended up finding a job on the island of Kauai. Um, I'm, from, I'm from the, the island of Oahu, so I have some roots back in the state of Hawaii. And uh, my wife is... Uh, you know, born and raised in Southern California, but she oh. acclimated fairly well. And then she, um, yeah, we should just fit right into the island life. And so we ended up com coming to the island of Kauai and yeah. And she, she started as an associate working for someone. And after a month of, I was working for an associate for, as an associate for one month. And after that, I'm like, I can't do this. And <laughs> I just decided to just build my own. And um, yeah, and that's the story. Nice, man. So then you never growing up thought to yourself, like, I want to own my own practice. You kind of just said, I wanted to do dentistry. And then after working with the associate, you're like, all right, I can't do this. I'm going to own my own practice. Yeah. I mean, it was never, um, the field of dentistry was very, an unfamiliar, um, field. Uh, I had no ties, no, um, 
you know, relatives or whatnot that were in the field. So I had no knowledge of what it was about growing up. So I didn't really um, find any interest until I was probably in my early 20s, you know, maybe like 22, 23. That's when I, I learned a little bit more about it. And that's when I decided to go back to school to pursue the prerequisites that was necessary to apply to, into dental school. So um, upon returning from Zambia, working as an associate, I was just too frustrated. I felt that um, I could easily do this. Um, perhaps it was because of my, our time in Africa, just mm-hmm. working with less resources, lo- working in more complex, challenging situations that, you know, we could still make it. And so everything seemed much easier when you have access to, you know, vendors, suppliers, you have actual rules and laws, you know, that makes it easier to function. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So then from the moment you decided or the moment you started working for the associate, what were some things where you were like, I I never want to take this to my practice. But then what were also some things where you were like, oh my gosh, this is actually a good system. I'm going to implement this in my own thing. It gets a little sticky, but I mean, I didn't like, you know, as an associate, you, you, you work um, and you want to take care of the patients and that's the easy part. But I think there were some unethical parts that I didn't feel comfortable with um, mm-hmm. and I felt like it wasn't right. And one being was that I was uh, an employee as a W-2 employee, yet he would charge me his business tax to me and I would pay my portion of the tax. So I was paying two taxes. What? Yeah. And I, I, I called him. I said, this is not appropriate. This is not correct. And I've never ever dealt with this kind of uh, arrangement. He said, oh, this is how we do it. And that wasn't so because he didn't treat any other employees that way. And from that day on, I said, I'm done. I mean, I had, I rather eat rice and beans than to be a part of this, you know, just because yeah. I just felt like it wasn't right. Yeah. Plus rice and beans are pretty good too. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's a win-win right there. For sure. But okay. Wow, man, I didn't know that. So it was mainly because of the unethical stuff. You felt like you didn't take anything away from that practice where you're like, I learned, I learned something here or not? Not, not really because I was just there for a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I worked there for a month and I realized like, this isn't going to um, be for me. Uh, but prior, you know, I guess I have to go back backtrack a little. Um, you know, after I graduated, I was waiting for my wife to finish up her residency and fellowship. So I had three years upon graduation to, to work in different types of practices, and that, which I did. Part of it was uh, in Southern California and part of it was in um, Rhode Island. So in the West to the East, you know, and so I had different experiences from, from all of that. And um, I think that helped me decide, you know, what I wanted to do in terms of should I, do I have the ability to open a practice? Do I have the confidence? Can I actually do it? And do I have the skill set to actually make it? And, and so I felt pretty good about moving forward. Got you. So how long ago was this? In terms of opening the practice? Yeah, like where you, so for example, you quit your associateship after one month. And then from that point on, you decided did you acquire a practice immediately or what happened after that? No, um, I was just so fed up. And I, um, after I quit, I said, I'm going to do this myself. I mean, there's no way I can't make this work. Yeah. And so I just found space. I found space and I, we call it chicken scratch, uh, a floor plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did this all the wrong, wrong way. Right. <laughs> so I, I did it myself. I said, this is how I want my room size. And we moved a few walls and I was heavily involved in something that I wasn't familiar with, you know, yet mm-hmm. it didn't seem overly complicated. You know, we're just putting some square rooms and running plumbing and, and electrical um, through conduits, whatnot. Uh, it, it just didn't seem that complex. And so 
yeah, I just found space and we built a practice and um, yeah, we, it's, it wasn't a very large practice. It's 1500 square feet, has about four ops. And, and so that, yeah, I mean, that was about three years now. Wow. And you still have the same practice? Yes. Man. Okay. How do you have the money and the funds already saved up for that? Or you went to a bank to get loan? This is the most bizarre thing. Um, I didn't have the money. I didn't have much just because um, I don't have, I didn't have a job. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the interesting thing was that when I negotiated with the landlord of the building, um, I asked him that I can't pay rent until I actually start working because there's so many delays and it's just, everything's on island time that, you know, construction can be much longer than most places. And so he was willing to give me six months, but I knew it may take me more than six months to build, you know, build out a place. And so uh, he agreed on the terms that, you know, when I opened, then my rent is due. So, so I had that protected. As for a contractor, I was working with a guy that, you know, he just wanted to get, get started. So he wanted 20,000 as just a started payment, which I paid. And after that, he didn't come back for the rest of his money. Till today, I owe him a little over $100,000. And yet, it's the craziest thing just because I see him around. I say, you know, let you know, I I got your money. You know, I'm I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I I know. uh, I'll come get it. But I'm thinking like, if it's over $100,000, a little over $100,000, you can make a lot of interest off that, you know. But we're we're on like year three and he's still... Is not knocking on my doors. Whatsoever. It's this craziest thing. In some ways, I'm like, maybe some random rich people gifted me this practice or something. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I have no words. I, I talk about this to my uh, various reps, you know, Patterson. To, yeah. And they're just like, this is the craziest thing. No one would even do that. Most contractors want their money yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So he, where did you find this contractor? How'd you find him? I found him because um, my land, the landlord of the building, he uses him quite a bit to do a lot of other projects in the commercial space. Hmm. Okay. He had, he had no like dental background, no knowledge, even I didn't, but somehow we're able to kind of pull it together and say, okay, this is how we want it. And um, we kind of built it as, as build, we call it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. How much was it in total then the whole space? Well, I hope it's 20,000 because that's what I paid him. <laughs> but uh, I mean, roughly it should be maybe like we were initially agreeing on about 120,000. Okay. For four, that's a good deal, man. That's really good. No, it, it's, a, it's a spanking good deal. There's no yeah. way anyone would, would even consider even looking at your stuff for that kind of, but you know, he didn't really know what he was doing in terms of like building out dental. Um, I was heavily involved, you know, just kind of guiding and, and I was there every day because I had a, I had no job. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he feels bad because he's like, man, you were there all the time. Or maybe he's like, I don't know what I did, but I did it. And I feel bad taking the rest of the money. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. But I mean, things got to cost money. I mean, we got like quartz countertops, you know, we got, we got some yeah. bells and whistles, you know, it's not cheap. And he had to pay all the subs, you know, you got the electricians, the plumbers and you know, uh, the drywall, you know, you still got to pay them out. You know, he wasn't doing the work. Yeah. That's so, so interesting, it's, man. It's crazy. I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm not saying much more. I just tell him like, uh, let you know I'm here not going anywhere and I got your money at one point. Just let me know in a couple months in advance so I can actually start giving you that money. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's cool, man. So then how long, was there any delays? How long did it take for that? Because you said island time. So I'm sure there's like, it's a little slower, I would say. Yeah. No? I mean, it. Yes and no. I think, um, you know, we have what you call like permit expediters, you know, people who 
I guess it's a legal thing because they, they call themselves expediters and they help expedite the permit. Mm-hmm. And that just means that they go and, and knock on various county, you know, departments to get these things approved. And, you know, I think sometimes they bring like malasadas or some kind of donuts to kind of, <laughs> to massage that process. I, I don't know. I, perhaps some people might think it's bribery or whatnot, but it's pretty common in this, I would say, Asian cultural setting, you know, Polynesian yeah. cultural. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So then from that point on, did you do a demographic check before or anything like that? Or now you just said, Hey, I'm going to open up here and that's it. And then started, you build out and everything? Yeah. You know, I didn't see, again, like all of these things I didn't do. I mean, I'd had, I'm the one who drew up the plan. Like think about it. I, I have no experience and um, I had no knowledge. I didn't even know what a proper checking countertop height should be. You know, all of those things were just kind of like, like just, just eyeballing it. Yeah. Somehow it worked out. But in terms of like the demographic studies and stuff like that, I've always been a firm believer that there's always um, room for another good dentist, you know? you're doing yeah. good work and you, you you provide you know ethical compassionate care that's fair i think there's always room i mean um I, you know, no matter where you are hawaii in numbers tend to seem like it's a pretty saturated market but there's always room you know that's true that's true so then from that point on right now looking back from the practices you're working at are there any changes you would make to the design or anything like that or not Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. So I'm in the process of building out an eight operatory space um, wow. now. It's going to be in about, we have about 2,800 square feet of, to play with. And so that is where I'm building out the eight operatories. And so, yeah, there are several things I would like. Uh, keep in mind, like in, in the whole state of Hawaii, most of the dental offices are very, very small. Just the real estate is is just, you know, just too high to support multi-specialist facilities where you have large, large clinics and offices. So it's, it's, it's a little unique. And so, yeah, we would like to have large, you know, whether it's washing, washer room, dryer, washer, dryer room, or whether it's a staff lounge, whether, whether you know, all of those things. Uh, yeah, it is possible, but you have to sacrifice something for it. And um, so going forward, I think with a new build out, I probably work a little more closely with, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Patterson, whether it's Henry Shine or some of the distributors and also invest in, invest in things that will probably last much longer, whether it's uh, ADAC, ADAC cabinetries or, or, um, or even certain types of countertops and whatnot. And so, I mean, I think I've come to a point where um, I like to have nicer things uh, that will last, although it's a little more pricey, but I think our patients would appreciate that. And uh, yeah, some people would say that's not what brings money, but I think it's the whole experience of it all, right? Like, yeah. Wh- why do like hotels, if they're only selling rooms, have very large lobby areas, right? And, and spend so much money and decorating and making it nice and giving you that wow experience. I think it's the same concept that I want when people walk in, they'll be like, wow, I can tell like he put some thought into this and, and yeah. we're where my staff can feel comfortable um, working, where they have adequate space to do their thing and whether it's the lounge, whether it's rooms to work out of. So, I mean, I'm excited about the new build out. I just hope we get it permitted soon because we're still waiting for permits. Yeah. How much is your build out or your new build out costing? I haven't run the numbers mainly because um, we are still finalizing drawings. This may be off topic or tangent, but it's just what we did was um, during the pandemic, Mm-hmm. There was a, a fourplex movie cinema complex here in, uh, in town, just centrally located. And the owners um, 
went belly up and they just ran off. Oh, wow. uh, and the landowners, you know, needed to liquidate their assets, the building itself, because the landowners own hotels in the Hawaiian island chain. And during the pandemic, it was, you know, there were 10% occupancy, so they were bleeding. And so they had to offload uh, assets to help cover, you know, service their loans. And I think it was a good timing where, you know, it gave us an opportunity. So we bought that building uh, with four theater space in there. And so, so it, the build out is phased out into many different parts. Therefore, it's hard to say how much maybe the dental part's going to be because we're building apartments above, you know, the dental space. Got you. Got, yeah, that's so, actually going to be good, I think, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it is. Because then you already have the vertical height of the building. Mm-hmm. So I'm not changing the height. I already have the ceiling height. It's about like 25 feet or 23 feet. So if I make, you know, four, nine, nine feet ceilings on the bottom, nine feet ceilings on top, and we have space, you know, so it's just, I think it's, it's a better investment in, you, in use of uh, the space. Yeah, it is. And it's kind of cool because like, if there's people above you, I mean, that's great marketing. You know what I mean? Like you're, could you market to those type of people? I mean, those residents? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where the, the new build out's going to be, yeah. we probably have six dentists within like hundred yards. You know, so it, it's it's just a place where a lot of professionals are. We have medical groups and whatnot. So, I mean, they'll they'll come and you know, um, yeah, I can market to them if they want to come, and uh, I don't think it's gonna be a problem. Yeah, that's gonna be good. So then, focusing on on like your business right now, how many employees do you have? We have eight. Oh wow, eight. That's good, man. How did you find them, or how'd you hire them? Well, we've gone through some 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 challenges. The first two and a half years was, I would say, really good years. I started the practice with just three of, two, three of us, including myself. So I had one front, one back, and me. But, you know, I was so fortunate to ha- have two veterans, um, two, one the front and the back. They had over 20 years as an RDA in California. So they were out here um, living and working with me. And we started this thing from scratch, you know, um, and it was just an amazing ride, you know, like we've had numbers that definitely, you know, was real good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and after when the COVID hit, I think we lost, I lost those two due to uh, the spouse or the parents not feeling good in the mainland. So they had to move off the island. Uh, And then I ran into the problems that most people are running into, which is a shortage of team members and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always kind of held on to the belief that, you know, if I build, people will come. Yeah. I build and, and create a culture, they would come. Like, I felt like if I can be the next Google and, and provide a culture where, you know, beyond just the compensation, a place where they can feel safe and be happy and they feel like they are growing and in training and knowledge, then people would value that. Uh, and so I was pretty dogmatic and held on to that belief. And I still believe that it is a way of, of retaining uh, people that value that type of stuff. But how do you get there when the market is so shorthanded? And so... Um, mm. we, I ran into some problems because I had, I had two assistants, um, after, you know, uh, two years, two back assistants and we, we were humming nicely and I lost those two back assistants and now I had no assistants and I found one out of high school. Mm. We had to train from scratch and yeah. she was, she was technically when I had those other two assistants, uh, before they left, um, I, the high school girl was our sterilization tech you know, just to get her groomed up. But it happened so quickly where I lost those two assistants and she had to step up. And it was, you know, frustrating at times, but, you know, she's, she was young, 18 years old, and we just 
start working, but I needed more support staff. So I hired two others. And so I have currently three assistants with less than one year of experience. But I've, we, we've trained them uh, internally. I've taken uh, a few of them uh, to courses, uh, not, not so much for assisting, but for CAD CAM training and whatnot. And so I think they've really, um, they're starting to blossom, you know, and I think uh, it's really working out. And yeah, they're excited because, you know, they're learning new things and um, you know, yeah. they, they have a job that's stable. And so, yeah, I mean, I run into the same problems as everyone else. Like my front girls, I have two. One is an RDA, so uh, she's pretty stable. Um, the other one is learning. She learned on the fly as well on the job. And it's almost like you get to desperate times and you have to kind of, you know, tighten your belt and just whatever it takes, right? Yeah. How you do sleeve, whatever you take. How did you do that though? How did you like reach out to like the people find these people first and foremost, like, Oh, you're from high school, right? Like I'm pretty sure you didn't like just go around and. So I, I tried, um, like the indeed I tried, um, the Facebook, I tried Craigslist and it was just kind of like all over the place. Cause everyone's looking and when everyone's looking it's just hard to, how do I say it? It was as a dental office, we didn't have the leverage. It's always, mm-hmm. they, they would be interested, but you have to play and you have to uh, on their terms and, uh, it may not be unreasonable, but you know, we, I wanted to make sure I hired, I had someone who had a proper attitude and I felt like we just didn't find anyone at that time. And so internally we had, you know, some of the existing team members and they were able to, I asked, I said, do you know anyone that's dependable and that's reliable? And that's at least for me, it was honesty, you know, like I can mm-hmm. do it, help out with all the other areas, but I need someone who's honest because I'm just so busy doing, staying in my circle of work that I cannot be cross-checking and, and, you know, auditing. I just don't have the energy nor the time. And yeah. so uh, we were able to find um, a lot of them. I would say out of the eight, out of the eight, six of them are from internally like uh, referred and we mm-hmm. trained them and um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's good. So then that kind of leads me to another question. Like, do you never audit the other employees work or like what, what do you audit? Yeah. So when, when I talk about audit, it's mainly talking about, okay, is we have a list of things to do, whether it's maintenance, right? Are mm-hmm. you, are you clean out? The, are you shocking the lines? Are you clean out the traps? And are you servicing the vacuum or compressor, whatever? And so it's something that they have to do, but I didn't want to be the one that's going and checking around and every, you know, as a big brother. So I, I don't mm. do that. I, I delegated that to my office manager and she doesn't really do a whole lot of that too. We, I've always made it clear to them that, you know, I don't like to be micromanaging anyone. We're all adults. We're all here um, to work together as a team. And if we can do that, we'll have success and we'll enjoy the success together. But, you know, the moment that we have to start micromanaging and telling you things that you should be doing uh, uh, and you're not doing, um, then we're going to have some challenges, you know? And so, so most of them, we're all on the same page, you know, we're on the same wavelength. They know that we win championships as a team, not one individual, you know, and we work together and, we, um, we need the chemistry that, that is needed to, to get there. It's not just pure talent and skill set. Uh, and so I think we're all there. Yeah. Okay. That's good, man. I like that. Rewind a little bit, because I know you said you always saw your practice, the inside, like the team, you wanted it to be like the next Google, right. And your practice and, and built like a good culture and vision in, in the practice. What is your culture like then? Like, what would you say? Your team, what attracts them? What attracts the patients? What do they, what do they say about your practice? Yeah, so 
I think culture can be defined in so many different ways, but mm-hmm. uh, um, I wanted to have a practice where everyone enjoys coming to work. And, and when I say that, I mean, to a certain degree, everyone, in a lot of places people do like going to work and they like their work environment and whatnot. But for me, it was a little more than that. And that's why we created these, what's called lifestyle hours. And we, we work from seven, the office is open from seven to three. I work a little less than that. And it's designed where they can beat the traffic. They come in and when they're done at three o'clock, they can go home and take care of either their family. They can go uh, to the beach. They can go to the gym. They can actually cook a meal and have a meal with their families. And therefore they can enjoy life outside of work on a daily basis. And so I think that makes it very attractive because at the end of the day, I don't know how we got these working hours to be eight to five or nine to five. I mean, who made that up? And if everyone follows that, then you're stuck in the same traffic as everybody else. You're going home in the same traffic. You come home and the husband and wife's hungry and the kids are hungry and everyone's, none of the duties are done. And I just feel like it's a very um, tiring or taxing environment, you know, because by the time you you cook, it's seven o'clock and you eat and some people watch TV and they just go to bed. You do the same thing day in, day out until the weekend. And I just, you know, for me, that's not how I envision life to be. And mm-hmm. therefore I, we created these like what you call lifestyle hours that really can benefit our team members because when they go home and they're well and they build relationships with friends and spouse or family members, then, you know, they come home. I mean, they come back to work, refreshed, energized, ready to give it their 110. When we work, we work hard and Uh, When it's time to go to the beach, they can enjoy that without feeling like they owe something, you know? Yeah. This is Monday through Friday, those hours? Monday through Wednesdays, 7 to 3, and Mm -hmm. Thursdays, 7 to 12. And Fridays, we don't work. Dude, this is amazing. Like, I love that. The lifestyle. You're right. You're right. Who did make up 9 to 5, you know? Yeah. yeah, And if you get stuck in that 9 to 5, that rut, then you are... Think about traffic. Most of the yeah. places you got to drive far and you know, some of them are stuck in an hour, one way, hour back. That's two hours of your life. That's one whole day of, of work that you're stuck and you're not paid for. I know, man. And it's like, so I live in LA, right? And I think about it and it's like the traffic just to get to one place and then coming back. Like you, some people never see the sun. Some people never yeah. see the sun. Wow. Lifestyle. And you feel like that alone already is like a huge game. Like it's true. It, who invented nine to five? I don't know, but that's like pretty bad hours, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the funniest thing is, you know, um, anytime you decrease hours and you decrease not working any days, right? You would think that, you know, you would feel the impact financially, right? Mm-hmm, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, we all believe that 24 hours a day, if you can work, that's better. But that hasn't, I mean, I can't say too much because I haven't really worked those traditional hours, but I do know that, you know, we've exceeded, you know, our goals, on a regular basis. And, you know, as a startup, I would consider ourselves, our startup to be very successful. Man, that's all. So you've adopted these hours since the very beginning, since you opened? Yeah. So in the beginning we had, we worked till Friday, but it was till about 12 on Thursdays and Fridays. So, but then as, as I started to have other responsibilities, other duties, and I realized that, you know, there's no reason for us to continue to work five days when we can do the same with three and a half days and probably even better when everyone's fresh and ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it just, it just worked out. Yeah, that's true. It, ge- it gives less people less time to do all that other, like, you know what I mean? Like where you're kind of almost pretending to be working, like you're busy, but you're not productive, but you're just trying to be there because you know, you're supposed to be there. You know what I mean? And making the yeah, boss yeah. happy. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. I think, you know, you can't give it your 110. Everyone's there about giving about 70%, but they just have to work these long, you know, drawn out hours and like, it's, it's not efficient, nor is it productive. And if it is productive, it's just, you know, I think there's a lot of room um, for a necessary drama to come into practice if they don't have the time to do other things outside of work, you know, mm-hmm. when, when they can actually have a meal with their family and enjoy that, that time. Next day, they're happy. Yeah, they come, if they don't have that, unless a, you know, a spouse is hungry and they get into a fight because the kids are watching TV, too much TV or they're hungry and no, no one's helping them with their homework and whatnot, you come back, your minds are not even at work. Yeah. You know, and not, I yeah. think it just kind of snowballs, you know, like, and I think we, we forget how much this can affect the practice. Yeah. Outside, right. Of like actual work. Sure. Uh-huh. Bringing it in, like how much it can affect yeah. the practice. That's true, man. Yeah. You're right. We do forget that. I like that. I like that a lot. So then with all this happening right now, I mean, like with you, the hours and everything like that, and you're only working, like we're bringing technically in like three and a half days, right? How many new patients are you guys attracting monthly? Yeah. So in our, um, the first year and a half, we were probably averaging between 80 to 100, if wow. sometimes even much more. Initially, we were very uh, focused on marketing through Facebook and um, Google reviews. I think that was the biggest point. I, I did kind of did this with the Facebook ad. I, I, I did spend some money to, to boost some of these content. And then Google, we would just try to get the reviews to help self-market, you know, the practice. And I think that was, has been the key to, to a lot of our, our, our growth. And uh, we don't do that a whole lot these days um, just because we are pretty, I would say we should always try to grow, but we're, we're busy as is and mm-hmm. we're trying to navigate how we're going to deal with the growth that, that we have to deal with. You know, um, I brought in an associate in August of this year, so a few months ago, and she has uh, taken the traditional seven to three hours and then I've taken the 7 to 10 a.m. So I work a few hours a day. Um, and so that has worked out really well. Man. So you work 79 to three, basically like three hours, right? Every day up until Friday. And that's so, it. To, so I work the 7 to uh, 10, Monday through Wednesdays. Uh-huh. And on Thursdays, I work the 7 to 12 because she, does, she only works three days. She doesn't want to oh. work more than that. Yeah. My gotcha. associate. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. How... <laughs> How'd you find the associate? And then if you don't mind me asking, like, what's the pay structure look like for there? Yeah. So, um, so I guess maybe we can back up a little. The practice is we have about 30% cash, 30% PPO, 30%, um, we call it the state plan. We call it Quest and that's their state service. Um, I found my associate when she was visiting um, and she attended church and mm-hmm. she knew I was a dentist. I knew she was in this. So we kind of kept in touch and uh, we've always said, you know, oh, you know, what are you doing and whatnot. So once uh, she was done with her, um, she worked uh, in the community health service, uh, getting her loans paid off uh, mm-hmm. out of Arizona. Uh, she decided um, that she would consider a change. And I said, why don't you come out here and just, we can work it together. You can, we can be a partner if you want. I mean, for me, I, I rather just share the workload and I don't care. We all kind of eat what we kill, you know, and just mm-hmm. make it work. Uh, and so um, I was able to re- recruit her technically, and she's um, been here. The pay structure has been guaranteed 600 a day um, or 30% of, of collections. But I do credit her for you know, the x-rays and the exams and all these other stuff that some places may not. So 
on average, she probably earns about a thousand a day just because of the workload that's already in the existing there. So um, she seems to be pretty happy and um, there are various perks, you know, whether it's the profit sharing, whether it's the 401k and paid time off and whatever it may be or training that we send off. So there are a lot more to it than just the pay itself. Yeah, that's nice. man. So then production and collection for the practice, what's that kind of looking like month so, per month? Yeah, so we want to hover between 120, 130. So we are, this year we're closing off. We are probably going to hit about 1.43 in collections. Wow, man. Dude, that's, that. so it's been scaling up every year, right? Basically. Yes, yes. So it's been scaling about 30% a year, roughly. Um, And and keep in mind, it's not that we work more. Yeah. We scaled back. And that's what I mean. Like you can, it just, it's amazing how things work. Like we just work more efficiently. And like when we work, we work. It's not like we work at 65%, you know, 70%. We all hustle. And uh, I have some incentive programs that, that I created internally that incentivizes, you know, everyone to, to earn more. What are those incentive programs? So I just, what I did was I said, okay, this is the number I want to try to try to reach this year. And that was 1.4. And I said, roughly, I need 120,000 a month in collections. And I also said, we also need 10 Google reviews. And this was just recently because we haven't done the Google reviews part. But I said, if we hit the 120,000, that means everybody, everybody is into the bonus range. So it's a guaranteed payout of 100 dollars each. Mm-hmm. And then after that, additional five thousand means everyone gets an additional fifty dollars. So if you get ten thousand, everyone gets another hundred dollars. So there are times that we can get to like one sixty, then everyone gets a bigger payout. And this is top down, you know? Wow. Man. And then for and then for the hygiene, it's interesting because typically um, we have enough assistance to help the hygienists. They work out of two rooms. So uh, one, uh, I have one hygienist that works with me four days and one hygienist that works just one day. So we have one day that we double hygiene. So it's just one day that's a little bit busier uh, with the hygiene, but on a typical day, uh, the hygienist has two rooms to work out of. And so what we would do was, um, you know, we, we, we schedule eight patients. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in this environment, um, sometimes as, as many would know and you would know that you can schedule eight patients, but more often than not, not all eight show up. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm committed to paying their hourly wages and like, I'm not going to tell them, okay, now you're going to go and reduce, you know, pay structure just because your patient knows showed or, you know, they cancel last minute, you know, whether it's a family or not. Mm-hmm. So um, that really made it harder because now you got six, seven patients a day uh, and then the hygiene wages are going up and their benefits need to go up and whatnot. So that made it tricky and, you know, it works for the hygienist, right? I mean, they're, they're happy, but it didn't really work in terms of the financial part of how we're going to navigate this. So what we did was I said, any patients, if all eight shows up, then that's typical nationwide average work schedule. Mm -hmm. But I would say, why don't we schedule 10, 10 patients? Because most of the time we may get to eight, but if all 10 shows up, I would say for each additional patients above eight, you'll get $10. That made a huge difference. Really? So because... Because prior to that, they would say, oh, no, eight is enough. We don't want to have, we don't want to see any more patients. But typically, as I mentioned, you, you, you schedule eight, now eight shows up, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so now that we have this incentive program of like, well, any patients that show up above eight, 
you'll get ten dollars. So they're like, yeah, let, let's firm up the schedule. Let's get eleven in, and we'll get the assistants breaking down rooms, cleaning up rooms, and taking X-rays necessary. So it's not it's not that they're gonna have less time with the patients in terms of their work. They have the same amount. We just have the the ancillary staff to help support this growth. Wow. Okay. So they don't feel like they're being rushed or anything like that. They don't. Or did anybody ever say like? Hey, uh, Paul, and that's not the case. It's like, you know, we don't have the bandwidth for that or no. I mean, if you have two rooms and you have assistants that are breaking down the room, setting up the rooms, sterilizing, taking x-rays, I mean, typically that's all done in one hour for, you know, I would say on average hygiene practice. They have mm-hmm. to do all of that. But if, you, if that is done by someone else and they just want to do their part of work, uh, I think there, there's plenty room. Uh, and plenty of time to do that. Uh, and I, it's, it's really up to them because we, we said that we can get you to eight patients, but typically only six or seven will show up. So, and everyone's somewhat motivated to earn a little more. And so if you can earn another 30 bucks, that increases your hourly rate by like what, four bucks or so, you know, which is pretty nice. Yeah. And then, so do you keep track of all this? Like they all, like, let's just say every day, like, or in, except for like three days out of the out of the month, they decided, you know, like we didn't reach the patient thing. Do you have like a system to track all this or no? No, no. I mean, it's, it's we just, um, my office manager knows, okay, this is the day they got bonus. This is the day they got, they didn't get bonus. It's, you know, if it should cut both ways, but it doesn't. When I say it should cut both ways, it's, you know, sometimes as, as a practice, whether, you know, eight show up or five show up, I mean, we still pay the hygiene rate daily rate, right? And so, yeah. um, but then when they do well, you know, they have the potential to, to earn more and it's not, and yeah, the practice has a potential too, but we, the practice takes more of the risk than anything else because rain or shine, you know, we still pay out the daily rate. Yeah, that's true, man. I like that. I like that a lot. Like, and so that's for every single employee. Let's just say they all saw 11 patients that day. Every single employee gets that extra $10. No. So what it is, is if they saw, let's say 11 patients at the hygiene, Janice saw 11 patients. That helps create the production goals for the practice. So everyone indirectly benefits, right? Because mm. if we're trying to get to 120, having hygiene see more patients would help in that regard. Gotcha, so, gotcha. so the other members will get theirs, you know, as a monthly goal and the hygienists will get theirs through their own individual, you know, numbers. So everybody's like on the same page. Everybody's on the same page, basically, right? Like everybody knows Correct. you and says like, or your team members, they're like, Cause you know how there's those people, uh, I mean, we, uh, sometimes I'm like this, Paul, like uh, where you kind of don't want to let, I don't know, may, maybe it might be good, but like, you kind of sometimes don't want to let everybody in the team know, like, I want to try and reach a million. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, I'm only going to pay this much. And you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, I, I get that. I you know I get that. I see where that is. And it does seem like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, 1.4 million, that's, that's a lot of money to be like playing with, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I've made it clear that the agreements that we've had, you know, this is what they signed up for. And running the business is really my liability and the risk that I took. And therefore, it's really my decision, right? Like any any large corporate office, like someone makes 100 million, they don't bat an eye. They don't care less. They realize that they were fortunate or they were, they put in the risk and and, and that's, where they are. And at least for my, my team members, I, none of them would think that way. Uh, I, I do treat them well. And I've always said that you treat me well, I treat you better, you know, and yeah. I've always strived for that, you know, and I think that has helped. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. I like that a lot. So then one of the last questions I want to ask you, Paul, is throughout this process, from the moment you, from the moment you decided to design your own plan, right? Like as far as the build out, 
till today, what's been some of the biggest struggles or failures or pitfalls you've encountered? Um, I think the, it's, it's how to manage growth. You know, if it's a, a small, you know, three-man team, uh, it's, it's relatively easier um, in terms of the, the, the financial overhead liabilities. Um, it's easier if you decide to take a day off. You're not burdened with just this, this whopping um, overhead of uh, payroll. Uh, so I think the, the growth is, is, is also hard because you're trying to get everyone uh, on the same page all the team members to understand the culture and how do we do things. And anytime we, we lose someone after we invested a lot of money and time and uh, training on, um, you know, we, we feel like we're back to square one and which mm-hmm. sometimes happens. And um, I think that, that that constant change in the industry makes it pretty hard because you know, unfortunately, you know, um, some people just can't really make a career out of, out of some of these entry-level positions, you know, especially if we are training them and we're waiting for them to really blossom. Um, they'll get there as they continue to hone their skills and they bring added value to the team and the practice. But initially, it may take over a year for them to really get to a point where, you know, um, they are bringing in, uh, you know, something that's more tangible. Yeah. Gotcha. So maybe like ma- managing them, right? Basically everything at once. Correct. It's kind of like the most difficult struggle right now. Do you feel like you're kind of making your way out of that a little bit or not? Yeah, I think although um, I only work a few hours, I do a lot of thinking. I still do a lot of the, um, I actually order my own supplies still, you know? (laughs) So yeah, I I do carry on some of the work that I should be delegating, but I just, I don't know, maybe I'm too controlling in that regard. Like I like certain things and I like to make sure that I'm getting the best value for it, whether I, have, I buy a hundred of the same thing or whatnot. And until I can find someone who I can train, which I haven't yet, just because of the changes in our team that, it, it, you know, we're not quite there yet, but, but yeah, I mean, managing um, people are, are, can be one of the hardest things, you know, because everyone uh, feels like, you know, they bring a lot more than the realities might be. And it's, it's, it's hard because at the end of the day, you know, we're all human beings and there is that part where, you know, when the cat's away, the mice want to play, you know, they, mm-hmm. it's, it's just hard. And um, there is that, that's why the, the trust needs to be there and the ability to, to have them um, work on their own, not be micromanaged is such a key part for, for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially that's why I think you always look for honesty first, right? Like what, that's what you do for your, your practice, your team members, right? Uh, when it comes yes. to, because I feel like if they're big on that and the trust kind of can kind of fall into place a little bit better, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because if you can't, if you're always doubting and if they're not honest, that means you got to exert more energy to check, right? And that just, it's just more time and headache. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. Awesome, Paul. Thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? I practice in the island of Kauai. So if any of you want to, uh, if any of you come visit the beautiful Garden Island, uh, whether it's for honeymoon or vacation, come let me know and stop by. I'll, I'll take you out to lunch. <laughs> awesome, man. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. All right, Michael. Nice chatting with you. Paul, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Guys, if you are ever in his neck of the woods, <laughs> reach out to him and uh, get some lunch with him. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really, really awesome. So, Paul, I appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And, man, 
I mean, what did you guys think about that? Creating lifestyle hours for your employees. I've really liked that working. I read a book not that long ago called Deep Work, and I'm going to share all my notes about what I learned from that book in with my email list. So I'm going to put a link to my email list on the first um, link in the show notes below. So if you want to join my email list, go ahead and join it. Anyways, there's a book that's called Deep Work, and I really like that book because it talks about like doing the productive, meaningful work, and we can only do so much of that in a day. It's not like you can do 20 hours of it. No, eventually you're going to get distracted. Your other things are going to happen, all these things, right? And so it's kind of like what Paul's doing. Like he's, he's, he found the, the real deep, sensible things that, you know, the employees are like, hey, I'm going to dedicate this much time. I'm going to do it. And he's doing it and he's making it happen in a shorter amount of time. And you see how much he's on track to collect. He really focused on the wildly important when it came to professional life and a little bit of the personal life, because the more you try to do, the less you actually accomplish. So you really want to focus on the wildly important. And that's that's amazing. I really appreciate this episode. It's puts a lot of things in perspective. I know for a lot of us, right? So maybe if you want right now, you can go back and think about it and be like, should I continue to do the eight to five or should I change it up? What, what can you do, right? And one thing I really enjoy that the book uh, mentions, Deep Work, it mentions how you need to identify the core factors that determine success and happiness in your professional and personal life. And you want to adopt a tool only if it's positive, only if it has a positive impact in these factors. So substantially outweigh and you want to adopt the tool only if it's positive, if it has a positive impact in these factors, which substantially outweigh its negative impacts. So if opening up from seven to three is a tool you can use that will enhance or have a positive impact in the factors, the core factors that determine your success and happiness, then do it, right? But if the eight to five is not doing it for you and you notice it's a negative impact and it's not contributing to the core factors that, you know, determine your success and happiness in your personal and professional life, then change it up. So anyways, guys, thought this was a really interesting episode. If you want, like I said, I'm going to share my notes on the book Deep Work. You can just join my email list. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you in the next episode.